he took a picture of the emoji and then tweeted the picture of the emoji. <laughs> and so just... Welcome to another episode of Geek Chew. I'm Eamon. And I'm Charlene. And this week we're going to be talking about a couple of new number one issues. Uh, we Stand on Guard from Image Comics and the new Archie from Archie Comics. And we also watched the HBO sports mockumentary Seven Days in Hell. And uh, we'll be talking about that too. So, you know, San Diego Comic Con was this weekend and I thought... They just announced the Eisner Awards, and I saw that, and I didn't even go and look. So, no. I don't know. Um, but they did have a new Batman v Superman trailer that was put on the internet last night, and it's three and a half minutes long, and it looks amazing. You're so cute, because he watched it and then watched it again right away. Right. Well, <laughs> and I'll probably watch it a couple more times today. Uh, but... Yeah, it was it was really good. Like it revealed a lot more of the the plot or the genesis of the conflict between Batman and Superman, and uh, you get to see Wonder Woman kind of in action for a, a couple bit. frames, and yeah. um, a lot more Batman. Yes, a lot more Batman, which is exciting. Very exciting. And they even um, have him in like different settings than you like more than just nighttime in Gotham. Like there was some desert scene where he's all camoed up and has this stuff. It was, it was awesome. Um, very, very exciting. Yeah. And you know, they have uh kryptonite and Lex Luthor and all that stuff is going to play into the movie in, in some way, but uh, it is very exciting. Uh, they also had some new Sherlock footage came out. Oh really? Yeah. You know, we've been waiting for season four for a long time. Uh, the stuff that came out is actually like a trailer sort of for their, you know how, I guess a lot of English shows on the BBC and stuff have um, Christmas specials. Yes. Uh, they have a Christmas special coming out that's set in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's like Sherlock Oh, really? Oh, fun. Where, fun, fun. You know, he's wearing the deerstalker cap. and. Did uh, you and um, Courtney finish up? Watching all of those? No. Oh, you haven't caught up. Okay. No, yeah. Which, the Deerstalker cap thing is not actually from the books. It's from, like, the TV show that... Yeah. Anyway. But he's wearing it in this TV show as well. Yeah. And they're actually going to, I guess, release it in some theaters, select theaters. So, who knows if it'll be close to us, but I would definitely go see that. And, uh, so that's exciting. I don't know when season four is supposed to start, but some other... Comic-Con notes. Wesley Snipes is there. Really? I guess they, or he said that he's had talks with Marvel about returning from more, more Blade. There was nothing really set in stone. There's no actual negotiations or anything, but you know that. I don't know. I mean, how do they pull that off? I mean, Blade doesn't age. Wesley Snipes clearly has in the, but I mean, you know, they can do a lot with, yeah, I don't know. Technology these days. <laughs> I'm not sure it's a great idea. I mean, the first Blade movie was really good. Um, after that, it was they were okay. Yeah. But uh, 
Marissa Tomei was cast as Aunt May for the new Spider-Man, which is interesting. That is interesting. Uh, She's really great. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it's it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a strange choice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They also announced uh, a Han Solo, like, Star Wars anthology film. Like, they're going to do the Bubba Fett one, and they're going to do, like, a young Han Solo which a lot of people are kind of like, that's probably not such a great idea. Because people aren't going to like him. Well, yeah, the, a lot of it is just like, you can't really take a Harrison Ford, like, legendary character and try to rewind the clock and cast somebody to pull off the same... Yeah, that's uh, true. Same demeanor, same... Yeah, but also, yeah, I mean, every, everything leading up to his role in Star Wars for Han Solo was... He was not supposed to be such a great guy. <laughs> yeah. Scoundrel. Um, so it would be hard maybe to make the audience like him. But And uh, I don't know. My last like recap for the week thing was they finally have a release date for Hawkeye 22, the last issue of the yeah, Matt Fraction. Where has David that been? I didn't, I didn't see any of that. I just saw that there was a release that's actually coming out Wednesday. Really? So, yeah, That's 15 very July. Exciting. It is very exciting. <laughs> I don't even remember when the last one came out, but it was a long time ago. So, I don't know. Did you have anything? Um, I mean, not really. I've been watching So You Think You Can Dance. They're finally into, like, like the next episode's going to be, like, actually getting into, like, the competition of the show and not the auditions. So that'll be fun. We finally finished watching American Werewolf in London, and I fell asleep. Yes. For the last, like, ten minutes. I don't even 15. know if it was the last ten minutes. It ended pretty abruptly. Oh, well, <laughs> I don't know what happened at all, so now I, I do have to go back and watch that. And also, I read the first volume of Batgirl this week. Oh, which yeah, Which was too. really good and really fun, and the art is great, and I'm excited to read more. Yeah. Yeah, um, really like the Cameron Stewart stuff. We just talked about Gotham Academy not too long ago, and picked up issue number one of Canary, Black Canary, mm-hmm. um, and you know, first volume Batgirl was very good. But you know, can't talk about one person forever. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's you know. Unless you have anything else, we'll move on to our first Yeah, no, let's go ahead and get started. All right. Well, uh, the first one is We Stand on Guard, which is published by Image Comics. It's written by Brian K. Vaughan, who does, obviously, Saga and Why the Last Man, or did Why the Last Man. Uh, He's also doing um, a digital series, Private Eye, which um, has an interesting, I guess set up as far as like it's a pay what you want business model oh okay yeah kind of like when we went to the museum of fine arts in new york and there's a suggested ticket price (laughs) so you can go to the mfa for that's boston is the mfa you mean the met metropolitan oh yeah so you can go to the met for nothing nothing but you know we we ultimately just paid the recommended price the recommended price but yeah, I haven't. I want to get on the website though and, and look at that and see um, exactly how it's set up because it's probably good. I mean, right. Um, 
the the art is by Steve Scrochi. Is that how that's you would how say I it? would yeah, say it? That's what it looked like to me. Uh, who I guess he did a lot of uh, comic work in the in nineties with Cable and X Man and Image uh, Young Bloods or Young Blood, but uh, then he's been primarily working as a storyboard artist in in Hollywood, mostly for the Wachowskis. He did like The Matrix and V for Dent. V for Vendetta. Oh, really? And, I mean, basically all their movies, Cloud Atlas, even Jupiter Ascending, which we watched. And I uh, thought it was very fun <laughs> and over the top, which it was supposed to be. Right. And goofy, but whatever. We're, that's not what we're talking about today. Right. Uh, so the We Stand on Guard, I guess, was solicited as a six-issue miniseries. They're kind of leaving it open for the possibility to do more with how it you know, based on how it's received and if they have more story to tell. Right. I mean, I, I kind of, I like when there's like the wake for example, it's like 10 issues and you kind of just want to like have that kind of go on forever. Cause I enjoyed that book so much, but like, if there's no more story to tell in a series, then it's, it, yeah. it turns into like, not as great. And so, not that I think that Brian Cable couldn't do that because you know. Right. I think that happens with a lot of TV shows. Um, right. They're supposed to end and then... Right. They have an ending in, in mind and then it's doing too well to really finish off and it just kind of <laughs> carries on until it's unwatchable. Uh, yes. But hopefully that doesn't happen with We Stand On Guard because it was a good book. It was a good first issue, I thought. I thought so, too. Um, it starts in Ottawa in 2112 and some attack has just taken place in the United States and it's kind of unclear what the source of the attack was or even the um, purpose. And this is centered on this family in Canada is kind of discussing the news. And all of a sudden you see Canada's under attack from the United States. And, you know, this by page four, there's this huge two page spread with bombs dropping all over Ottawa. That says, that's a USA on them or USAF. USAF. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, so it kind of sets up this and uh, overarching, you know, backstory about like what exactly happened and was was this retaliation for this other attack and what what happened with all that. But it does kind of centers on the the two kids that survived the attack and um, Tommy and Amber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we don't, then, we don't really get to see Tommy again. Right, because it cuts or it jumps forward 22 years to 2124, and it's just Amber uh, traveling the Northwest Territories of Canada by herself, and her brother's been captured by U.S. forces. 22 years or 12 years? It's totally 12 years. Okay, because I wrote down 12, <laughs> and I'm like, wow, my math's really bad, but really yeah. it was just yours. <laughs> yes, that is not... The proper way to do subtraction, <laughs> but uh, oh, and then I just rewrote twenty-two. Yeah, years. Yeah. I fixed my mistake. Whatever. Yeah. Well, it's important to keep good notes. For, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then you know, I don't know. The storyline is carried forward twelve years, and she's traveling the uh, Northwest Territories and. Um, she comes under attack from kind of a smaller robot 
uh, I don't know, gorilla machine. Uh, not that that's a gorilla, but they call them um, gorilla, like G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A. Uh, but it's kind of like a little a wolf, and like a taxer, and she's saved by these oh, yeah. Canadian freedom okay. fighters, the two four, and um, story stuff happens. Yeah, yeah, I mean a much larger gorilla machine from the United States shows up. That's actually like a giant gorilla, or it looks right. like a giant. Which is gorilla. funny because that's like the little symbol on it, and then it and it says um, what I wrote it down. Seek, strike, destroy. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that's like the new motto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I, I don't know. I mean, this uh, the freedom fighters have have kind of been waiting for um, a, a giant machine like this to show up, and they have this plan to take it down. And there's this huge like action sequence of them taking it down, and. I thought it was it was really well done. Um, I mean, it's a few pages basically of almost it's like zero dialogue and almost no like sound effects or you know there is some automatopoeia in there. Like when I when I thought back on it, I, I couldn't remember if there was any in the book. There there's a little bit, but not um, not a lot, and especially not a lot for I think you know a sequence like that where there's no dialogue and it's just action. I don't have a lot of experience with movie storyboards, but I imagine that that's kind of what they would look like, you know. Uh-huh. So okay. I don't know. What did you think of? Uh, um, I thought it was good as far as setting up a a bigger story. Clearly, there's some sort of um, hinting that we're going to find the brother, the older brother, or find out what happened to him because it's brought up, and that. It specifically mentions, like, I'm not really sure. And we are going to find out whether he's alive or dead, but it, I feel like, hints that he's probably alive. And, um, I don't know. I mean, like, basically, that's most of the setup. Like, now she's part of this group because right. she's proved herself to them. But Right. And they, they do, um, I think they just kind of, introduce the characters kind of on the surface not a lot of character development right um, mostly just what's going to be happening with the plot and um you know who who the main players are not necessarily you know who they are as people yeah or whoever might be you know more integral 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 <laughs> integral <laughs> i don't know what's wrong with my voice that's <laughs> <laughs> just your voice. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, I don't know who's going to be important to <laughs> more of the story later. Um. But Amber obviously has some skills because she's been surviving in the woods for a year. Right. And she's kept that white outfit very clean. Yeah. Well. Just. <laughs> It's a lot of snow, so I mean, we, <laughs> um, so. I, I like the little uh, side thing about talking about the Superman tattoo on the one guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're in Canada. They've been under attack from the United States for a while, and um, this dude has a Superman tattoo. But then he goes into this whole spiel about how the dude who drew Superman was 
lived in Cleveland, but he was from Canada, so Superman's really Canadian. <laughs> um, I don't know. There was a lot of good, I thought, um, dialogue like that, but yeah, I, I like the art too. Um, yeah, it's a little different as... than what we read on a regular basis. Like yeah. I can't really compare it to much. Um, it reminds me kind of of Frank Whiteley, like his stuff. I, I wouldn't call it like hyper real, but um, it, it's it's definitely. Uh, I'd say the detail and stuff reminds me more of how like George Perez does. Not that their styles are exactly the same, but as far as like detail and. No. Um, you know, I mean, they're the, they're different, clearly, but just how much is going on. There is a lot going on. I, I really like, not just the people, but even the machines, like, they're really detailed. Like, you can see the rivets on, like, holding mm -hmm. the thing together, and all the um, snow-covered branches of the trees, and it's a, it's a really good-looking book. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. What, what did you think about the premise of the U.S. invading Canada. Well, I mean, it's okay for me, like, superficially. It, it's a, I think it's a good story, and, like, if I try to think about the... I just... It seems kind of like an old thing to me is, like, the American government being the bad guys. It's just... Yeah. I mean, it, it's, so it's I read... done so often, but... And right now I feel like there's sort of, like, a... a trend like especially like a hipstery trend to be in love with canada which yeah. like there's some sort of mysterious draw that <laughs> people like my sister loves canada and i yeah. mean i'd like to go back and visit and you know there's just a lot of that and so it's fine for me but it's not like a wow i think that's really cool or yeah. original as far as like the basic basic part of the idea of the yeah i read an interview uh with brian k vaughn where he talked about it and I mean, his thing was basically he's, since he's been alive, you know, the U.S. has been invading all these countries, but they've been, you know, far away overseas, and he just thought it'd be, you know, more interesting to move it closer to home. But also, he, in the interview, he he says specifically he's, he's trying to make it um, not seem like it's good guys versus bad guys in the United States. You know, he wants it to be more ambiguous and so i guess we'll see more of that yeah. well right now we're re only seeing it from the right. canadian side so yeah you know i mean it's hard not to get that spin yeah i mean not that it doesn't bother me per se right. it's just it's just a thing yeah yeah so i yeah i mean it is <laughs> you said the the hipster trend of loving canada is um and instead, Brian K. Vaughn has decided to destroy Canada with an invasion. So, but I <laughs> right, guess but he's got a thing like, where he, it makes us be like, "Oh, the poor Canada and oh Canada." You I know, guess like, he, he he collaborates with an overwhelming number of Canadians. With <laughs> usually when his uh, his his artists, a lot of them are Canadian. But that's just kind of funny. But yeah, it's it's dragged on for twelve years, which is also interesting, just because. As we've seen, you know, just because there's a bigger force on one side doesn't mean it can't drag on and on with right. guerrilla war and all that stuff. But I mean, I it know, is I, an interesting, you know, it's interesting to, and it didn't really occur to me that it's like a taking place in our backyard as well. Right. You know, um, as far as the United States, so its backyard 
<laughs> or whatever. But no, I um, think it was uh, it was understood. <laughs> it, <laughs> whatever. Um, it, it just yeah. I mean, so I guess examining it from that point of view would change things a little bit. You know, I mean, yeah, we've been at war since we were kids, basically. I mean, literally the country since you and I were kids. Um, And uh, you don't, you just sort of like hear about it. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know I'm not making very coherent sentences about that, but you get it. You know what I'm trying to say. mm -hmm. I do. Did you have anything else on We Stand Guard? We stand on guard. Yes, that is the title. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, just that one word. Excellent. (laughs) So we'll move on then to the new Archie series that just launched, obviously published by Archie Comics. Uh, Mark Wade is the writer, and he's a pretty pretty well-established writer, very popular. Mm -hmm. He did that uh, Kingdom Come series that we oddly have not read but I did purchase last weekend and it's sitting on our iPads waiting for consumption it's that yeah um but he also wrote uh or is writing the new Daredevil which I really liked I just stopped keeping keeping up with it after six or seven issues and I, I want to go back and catch up on that but and Fiona Staples is the artist which is um very awesome yes it's very awesome it's it's probably the only thing that really made me buy the the book like it's cool that mark wade this um you know really famous popular author is a writer has decided to get on board but i don't know if it would have been as appealing without fiona staples art yeah maybe yeah um yeah I might have to agree with you. I mean, I'm glad that we picked it up because I do like the story. Yeah. Um, it's actually kind of nice and refreshing to have like a, a month-to-month floppy like that instead of like the um, digest size because uh, I never pick those up ever. I get, it just, I mean, I did when I was a kid. I used to love to get the Betty and Veronica digest and stuff, but, um, you know, just... Archie books it's like one of the most I think they I think they make they do better like financially than Marvel or DC I believe really? like as far as I think so I mean I have to look at that's, the numbers but I feel like I heard I know it's kind of unbelievable sounding, yeah. right <laughs> so but you can find it like they're it's everywhere like yeah. everybody you know like little kids like see it at the grocery store line and their parents go ahead and put it on the belt for them to you know um I mean that's how I used to pick it up yeah and or maybe it's just more published than any other. Anyway, the point is, it's nice to have this month to month, like a book, the style that we read. And well, it was it, coming out like that before, too, because they just had that whole Death of Archie thing going on. But they have, um, you know, ultimately... I just never read any of it. Yeah, me either. <laughs> you know, ultimately, Archie Comics is looking to relaunch a bunch of different lines and stories and well i feel um, like there's uh, definitely it's a definitely a good time for them to do that you know right. i think the, it must have started with afterlife with archie because 
I mean, that's really right. All I know about Archie and the gang is from Afterlife. <laughs> right. I mean, I know peripherally uh, over the years you know, right, characters, but um, until that came out, I couldn't have cared less. So, um, but uh, so the Archie comic has come out. There, they also have plans for like three other series. They actually, uh, when I was researching this book found that they had started a, a Kickstarter. Um, like the Archie comics publisher had started a Kickstarter to try to get those, those other three books out like sooner. Really? So maybe it's, it's like definitely Jughead. not a money thing so much as like a largest well, publication. Thing. They canceled the Kickstarter after about a week. Cause there was a pretty big yeah, um, they've- backlash from or critical backlash just from the industry and, and I think comic readers alike. And uh, so the three series have been delayed a little bit, but they're still going to come out. There's the Jughead series that's going to be Chip Zdarsky and Erica Henderson. And that then, sounds fun. Yeah. And there's another Veronica and Betty series. and That sounds super with, fun. Life with Kevin series. But, they, um, but ultimately, I think they're just trying to reboot um, everything and kind of move it into a more... Uh, mainstream mainstream thing contemporary yeah. it's hard. I, don't, I don't know if mainstream yeah contemporary mainstream is probably not the word because it's archie you know so. right but um they even have like a, a cw show coming out riverdale what? you know but with all that said the comic book itself is um is really it's even better than i thought it would be um story-wise and then you kind of knew what to expect with the art but uh, it just, it really looks great. And I don't know, it, it starts with, with the breakup of Archie and, um, Betty and Betty from this lipstick incident. And, you know, I find myself speculating too, right. you know, everyone's speculating <laughs> what that is. And, uh, it's Archie just kind of acting as the narrator and talking to directly to the reader and introducing himself and the situation as he finds it and that he's in and, uh, just kind of quickly moves through the school and introduces the characters. And, um, you know, from there, the plot moves forward with their friends hatching a plan to try to get them back together. And, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, um, it's more complex than you think it would be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to give anything away. I think people should be reading it. It's so, um, it's fun. It's fun. And it's a lot more interesting than I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, and I, you see like the, the like real human teenage emotion of it all. Like, even though it's, yeah, they seem like real people. Yeah. And, um, I mean, clearly things in our life aren't as dramatic as all that, but they once were when we were in high school. And so it seems really real yeah. as far as that goes. I liked, um, the Jughead character. Like I always thought he was supposed to be kind of a, a dummy. Yeah. Dope. I mean, his name is Jughead. Yeah. It's not, a <laughs> but he, he kind of comes across as, I mean, he's Archie's best friend, uh, mm-hmm. still in the book, but he kind of comes across as almost, this sage like apathetic too, like me almost like where he's, just... well, he seemed apathetic, but I, 
yeah, by the end, not. it wasn't. Oh, um, definitely not. Yeah. And he, he kind of uh, sees things as they are, where other people are trying to force things into a reality that they feel should be. And I just thought that was interesting. And Veronica is not even in play yet. Um, no, she's alluded just hinted to, at. Uh, yeah. yeah, as moving to Riverdale soon, the, the Lodge family. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I kind of like that better than the... Um, old story of Betty and Veronica basically being both of Archie's girlfriends yeah. and it like not being like a real issue because yeah. Betty and Veronica are best friends. Yeah. And they're also like, I mean that that's always just been like a weird, unbelievable dynamic and it definitely wouldn't fly today. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I like how they've set up that a little bit and I, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how Betty and Veronica become friends if they do. I mean, cause they're really unlikely friends cause mm-hmm. they're so different from each other, but yeah. I mean, like I'm really excited about this book. Yeah, it, it is. It's good. It, it, it spends uh, a lot of time like setting up some of the relationships in the book and, and the dynamics like Archie and his dad and how he's constantly looking for something to uh, connect with his dad about. And mm-hmm. you know, Archie and Betty and, Jughead and just um, how they all kind of fit together in this version in of the world. Town. Yeah. I like that they added the first Archie comic. Yeah. That there's story six pages was of, so. <laughs> it was bad. Dorky. Like, and it's so ridiculous and exactly yeah. like something you would expect to be from 1941. I can't believe people actually laughed out loud at that stuff. Yeah. It's. Like, um, enough that, like, Archie is still around right. from when they put that first, you know, like, it clearly was successful enough that it launched this whole empire, so. Yeah, it was hard to make it through all six pages. Was it? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, man, when's this going to be over? <laughs> but, uh, I don't Maybe know. it I, wasn't as cliche back then. Yeah, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't, but, um... I don't know. Did anything about the issue surprise you? Like, um, I, I really liked the whole um, part in the middle where, again, it's almost no dialogue, but Archie finds himself in a situation where he needs to take up the mantle for this missing guitarist. And you just kind of see it unfold over like three pages that um, his trepidation and then how he kind of discovers and it's just the facial expressions and how it all plays out and discovers yeah. that he can do it. And it's, well, I feel like the whole thing was surprising to me. Yeah. I mean, it was just really well planned and thought out, you know, as like, it's, I think Mark Wade in the letter in the back said something about Archie, you know, already coming to him as like a fully formed character. And I mean, it must have really helped because you already like, see who this person is and then you can create the story from there. But he did a good job conveying who he is as a person Yeah. without like, ha- I mean like you don't have the same kind of Archie background as far as reading it when you were a kid and stuff. And you still get that same, you know, vibe that he's, you know, this guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, um, he did a good job. I, it's probably recapping, but even, recapping as an introduction you know yeah. archie and him doing it himself and he's kind of introducing himself as this you know uh non-spectacular person 
And as the issue goes on, you kind of see, you know, what sets him apart from other people. And I don't know. It was, it was very good. Right. Like why, why are we reading a book that's named after this person? who's just like a regular guy. I thought it was great. I'm, I'm super, super, super excited about it. And, yeah. I like the, and, and like really excited to read more. Like it's probably one of my favorite things that we're reading Yeah. now. You know, it's, I like especially that the end the where first. it's basically Archie again talking to the readers, and yep. he basically asks for input. He's like, "You can, you know, uh, send your responses to add Archie Comics and hashtag Lipstick Incident or whatever." And it says, "I mean, he's like literally telling people to to right to do this." And I thought that was funny, but. Yeah. I guess that's all I really had for the first issue of Archie, but yeah. it's we'll have good. to. Re- I think I think we may have to revisit it later when it's yeah, yeah. It was good, definitely. So I guess our last thing is just um, the HBO mockumentary. Yep, sports mockumentary uh, Seven Days in Hell is written by Murray Miller and directed by Jake Jake Shizmansky. but it's got uh, Andy Samberg as Aaron Williams, a adopted sibling an adopted sibling of the Williams sisters, famous tennis players. <laughs> and um Kit Harrington as Charles Poole, who's kind of this dim witted uh prodigy who's terrified of letting his mom down, who's right. the typical like sport very, parent. Yeah, it's very um like Tiger Woods reminiscent, although Tiger Woods isn't like a big dodo but you know like as far as that whole like he's been playing since he was a kid i like the, the home footage where he's like i hate tennis <laughs> I, I don't like tennis and his mom's just like screaming at him <laughs> um his mom played by mary steenbergen yeah, steenbergen yeah, yeah. And, she's uh, great yeah it, it was it was really good and uh sandberg is kind of over this over the top agassi um you know esque tennis player and kid harrington i thought did a really good job playing the straight man in this uh yeah uh, comedy routine there was um all i have is it's so funny i mean and then (laughs) so we watched we sat and watched it together and then you replayed it this morning just sort of following you around the house on the ipad and so i got to listen to most of it and it's just like I don't even have to watch it. Like just yeah. hearing it after having watched it on once. The time, yes, it's funnier the second time for sure. Yeah. So it's, I could probably watch it again and again. Like that. That'll be something that we can just like turn on and watch. There's so like, many good things about it. Especially but. after. Um, seems like over the last decade, there's been like a cultivation of the sports documentary, and right, it's like kind that. of evolved. And the Thirty for Thirty is kind of encapsulates the Thirty for Thirty series on mm-hmm. ESPN. Uh, kind of encapsulates that and it and it kind of opened the door for this parody and this um this parody i mean it hits all the beats of yeah. a, a really good sports documentary but obviously it's um, uh, and also a really good comedy right yeah. uh, <laughs> and it just takes it to these absurd places it's even the timing is even it's like 43 minutes on hbo which if you put it on a network and put commercials in between it'd be like an hour-long documentary right um it's and it it, so it starts near the end of this seven-day tennis match, which right uh, in, in Wimbledon one. in 2001. The start, let's start from the beginning here. Yeah, and it goes back and kind of builds the two characters and how they made their way to this match. And um, 
you know, from there it, it also explains how this match could possibly stretch on for seven days. And it's, uh, you know, at the, near the end, they're really reaching for, <laughs> uh, reaching for, I mean, they have like streakers and a whole thing with the streakers on the tennis court. <laughs> I mean, it starts out with, like, weather delays. Yeah, it starts out with then, a weather delay. And like, then it something gets, perfectly normal. And it gets pretty crazy from there. There's this yeah. whole um, uh, bit about Andy Samberg's character, like, hiding cocaine all over the court. <laughs> and how they just let it go because it's not polite in England to point things out. <laughs> um, I like the, uh, when they go to, like, in, to sort of, like, crime documentary mode or crime you know with the digital recreation that's one of my favorite parts because it's i mean like even the narrator changes the way he is talking like right. to to match the like crime yeah. footage yeah it was <laughs> i mean it's pretty crazy I, I, the whole the whole plot is pretty um entertaining but i think the best part about it is just like the talking heads that are um you know, there's tennis historians like uh, Will Forte and Fred Armisen. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> for the first day of the, the tennis match, he Andy Samberg's character comes out, you know, dressed completely in uh, Jordache jean stuff. <laughs> and the, uh, the Jordache executive they have on is played by Lena Dunham. And, um, That's who yeah. that is. <laughs> Who's got like the, the exact same haircut? And the, there's um, I don't like. There's just so much in that 43 minutes. Yeah, David Copperfield playing this um, mm -hmm. crazy flipped version of himself, and <laughs> but he like, some of the things he says. Later. Yeah. Oh and my gosh. They, just, then they have like actual tennis people too. Like they have Serena, Serena Williams, Williams and John McEnroe, uh, and I don't know they. They did a really good job. It's uh, definitely something that I would recommend for for anyone because it's it's funny. Very. But um, I don't know, did you have anything else on? Well, you probably didn't because you just said all you have is that it's very funny. <laughs> so funny. So funny. Um, it's well, like I mean, it's my favorite comedy thing we've watched in a while. Yeah. Like I just keep remembering little things. Like something will trigger like a scene and I'm like oh gosh that was so funny you know like you just forget because there's so much in there yeah. and then it pops back into your brain and makes you laugh so it's very well done what was your uh your notable for the week okay my notable is something kind of old but I feel like it's appropriate because it's been taking up my whole life I have just been listening to um Neil Gaiman's American Gods on audiobook for the second time so I listened to it, uh, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago. It was a while ago. Um, and loved it. And so I'm listening to it again. And it's the 10th anniversary full cast production. It's really amazing. Like, it, just the story. I mean, obviously, Neil Gaiman's my favorite contemporary author. Um, so I'm going to like, you know, his style. Like, his storytelling is just my favorite storytelling. Um... But it's such a smart book and everything fits together and, you know, it's been long enough since I read it, listened to it, you know, the first time that I don't remember how it's going to play out exactly. Um, and I'm almost to the end. But there's also, you know, as you mentioned to me recently, there's talks of new television show 
which would be awesome. And so listening to it again has just made me really excited about that prospect. Um, so I recommend for anyone, if you're looking for something to read or something to listen to, pick this if you haven't <laughs> read it yet. I mean, um, and the 10th anniversary edition is different from the original publication because it's been revised and made into something else. And then, um, and clearly a, f- a full cast, um, reading is is way more fun it's easier to follow who's talking and characters and and things um but some of it's given away a little bit because you know the voices there's like not a lot of you're like oh well i I recognize that so i know who's speaking that kind of thing but i don't think enough where where you have anything ruined for you in the story so no yeah i think that you should read it (laughs) yeah i'm not much of a audiobook and we person. should just get just like funny, a. I know, because all you do is listen to podcasts and people yeah, talking. But I gotta look, keep up with those podcasts. <laughs> well, maybe you should commit to listening to like 30 minutes a day of it or something. Um, mm. And maybe you'd like it more because it's not just one person reading to you. Yeah. Mine is, oddly enough, <laughs> um, also kind of sports related, which is, I say, Oddly enough, because we don't really talk about sports at all on the podcast. and Even though uh, we live in San Antonio. And we did just talk about a sports mockumentary, so it kind of fits in with the theme of this episode, okay. luckily for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it also fit, I thought, because it was kind of described by several people as the best day on Twitter the NBA has ever had. Um, and Twitter's very pop culture, but anyway... It, it started um, the story that spawned this kind of Twitter explosion started at the beginning of the NBA free agency period, which is whatever, you know, the one July. Um, and then there's like five or seven days where there's this moratorium where the free agency period has started, but you can't really sign anybody. So teams start trying to recruit other players to come to their teams people get verbal commitments and usually a verbal commitment means they're going to sign the contract when the moratorium's up and so there's this player uh on the clippers deandre jordan Mm. and uh he had verbally committed to sign with the mavericks in dallas and um a couple days later he talked to the coach and gm doc rivers for the clippers he had expressed uh you know doubts about um, leaving the Clippers, and so basically the Clippers pull out this full-court press where they are all converging on, um, I forget, I think he was in Houston. He must live in Houston, DeAndre Jordan. But they're all converging on Houston. Uh, Doc Rivers, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, Paul Pierce, who plays for the Clippers now, they're all uh, um, going to basically ensure that he knows that he's one of the Clippers. They'll sign him for this much money, whatever. And it's the day before the moratorium ends. And so uh, I forget exactly how it happened, but it was basically like somebody tweeted an emoji of a car saying, you know, they were on their way to Houston. And then everybody starts tweeting all these different emojis, like an airplane and... It's funny because Paul Pierce, you know, there's like a rocket ship emoji. Mm-hmm. 
the thing now is like Paul Pierce doesn't know how to use emojis because he took a picture of the emoji and then tweeted the picture of the emoji. (laughs) 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 But, uh, yeah, so they all get to his house and, um, you know, hearing people talk about it afterwards, it wasn't really all that dramatic, but. You just made it sound very dramatic right now. Well, it's because that's how it all played out on Twitter. (laughs) I mean, you know, they, Blake Griffin, when they were there for a few hours, he tweeted this picture of like a chair shoved up under the door handle to DeAndre's house so nobody could get in. (laughs) And, um, but you know, ultimately he decided to go back to the Clippers, but just the, uh, the Twitter explosion was pretty entertaining to watch and even more entertaining to hear people talk about afterwards on some of the podcasts that I listened to. But, uh, so that was it. <laughs> well, that was a fun little recap that yeah. I got to. You made me excited about something that would normally not interest me <laughs> in the slightest. But speaking of sports, what exactly do you think Archie letters in? Tough to say. Track, track and field. <laughs> Maybe he's one of those three-sport high schooler types that, whatever season it is in the comic strip, whatever sport is going on, mm. that's what he plays in. I, I guess we'll find out. I have no idea. Or killing zombies. Either one. Um, Is that an official sport these days? I wouldn't be surprised if, like, there were some schools that, like, had fake zombie I think it should killing be. I sports. mean, places have Quidditch. Why not zombie killing? <laughs> True. Um, I'm done. Excellent. I think I am as well. <laughs> so Perfect. That'll wrap up this episode. As always, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. You can download it from our website. Leave a comment, a review on iTunes, or on our website, although the website wouldn't really help us out. Or email us. Yes, geekchu at at Uh gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at geekchu. And, uh... We're on Facebook. We are on Facebook. Message us there. Yes. Or comment or something. Something. Well, something, something. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Uh, But I guess that'll just about do it, so... Unless you have anything else. Nope. It was fun. It was smart. We liked it. Yes, we did. Mm-hmm.